Hello everyone, welcome to episode 4 of the Bible in a Lifetime podcast, where we dive deeper verse by verse using multiple translations to glean some insights. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on patreon.com slash fullofgracetv to support future episodes. Today we'll be starting chapter 2 of the Gospel according to John, which begins like this in the NRS theme. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. In the first chapter we hear about the first few days of Jesus' ministry. On the first day John the Baptist witnesses of Christ. On the second day John encounters Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. On the third day some of John's disciples become the first two disciples of Jesus. On the fourth day, Andrew brings his brother Peter to Jesus. On the fifth day, we hear about Philip and Nathaniel. And we skip the sixth day, such that on the third day, or as the Good News translation puts it, two days later, there was a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee. This third day is a foreshadowing of what we'll hear later when Jesus on the third day reveals his glory with the greatest of miracles, his own resurrection. This also calls to mind the thunderous revelation of God to the people in Exodus on the third day, after they are consecrated and prepared. We hear in Exodus 19, 10-11, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So the first week of Jesus' ministry ends with a wedding feast, symbolic of the heavenly banquet of salvation of God's relationship to his people. Often the Old Testament prophets would describe the relationship of the people of Israel and God as a marriage, because like marriage, it was a binding agreement between two people to love and honor, respect and protect each other to a prosperous end. So too, In the New Covenant, Christ is the groom and we, the church, are the bride. It signals the close intimacy that God wants with his people and the passion God feels for us when we abandon him to follow other things, like how the Israelites would abandon him to worship other gods. It's like a spouse getting cheated on. The number seven here is symbolic of God's creative action in the world, as it is tied to the seven days of creation in the Genesis story. Thus, John is signaling to us the new creation happening in this narrative, God's creative action at work in the world through the ministry of Jesus. Many scholars call this part of John's Gospel the Book of Signs, because of the seven signs or miracles we will see, beginning with the turning of water into wine here at the wedding in Cana, and ending with the raising of Lazarus. With this number seven, John is telling us to pay attention because God is at work. Jesus is revealing himself not only as the Messiah who has come to save us and be our king, but as the creator who has power to recreate the world, bringing new life to the dead. Let's continue reading. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? 
My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. This first miracle of Christ's ministry comes at the behest of his mother Mary, who notices what we need and never tires in bringing our petitions to her son. There is no indication that she had even been asked by the couple to do something. What could she really do? But Mary notices, and she brings their concerns to her son. As she does today, she sees our seemingly small concerns, and she takes great concern in them. If this is how Mary acts, and Jesus responds without being asked, how much more will she act and Jesus respond if we do ask Mary to intercede for us? Because as we see, even when the hour has not yet come, as in this instance, Jesus still gives way to the love he has for his dear mother, assenting to her petitions. I wonder what it was that made Mary understand that Jesus would do something. His reply seems like he won't do anything, because as he says, his hour had not yet come. And still Mary understood. Was it the tone of his voice, his facial expression, a slight smile to a knowing mother? Whatever it was, it was enough for Mary to be confident that Jesus would do something, because after interceding, she instructs the servants to listen to him. How often our dear mother has appeared to the saints to do the same, like at Fatima. She prays for us and teaches us, bringing us ever closer to her son. That is Mary's glory. That is Mary's power. She is the greatest of teachers in the mysteries of Christ. Let us heed her words. Now, the word woman used here isn't as harsh as it sounds in English. The Greek word was a general polite term when addressing women, kind of like saying miss or ma'am, though it wasn't usually used for one's own mother. It's interesting to note that in John's Gospel, Mary is never mentioned by name, but simply as the mother of Jesus, and Jesus addresses her as woman, here and when he's on the cross. By not using her name, John is signaling to us her greater importance in this story of our salvation. She is not just Mary of Nazareth. She is the new Eve, the new woman, the new mother of this new creation. In contrast to Adam and Eve who disobeyed God, here Mary encourages us to obey her son, God incarnate, who has submitted himself to the Father's will. The phrase, do whatever he tells you, calls to mind how the people of Israel in Exodus responded when Moses was laying out their covenant terms, that they would do everything the Lord had spoken. In Exodus 19, 5-8, we read, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses went, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Mary here is giving us a call to action. Are we going to accept this new covenant and follow Jesus so that we can be a holy people and a kingdom of priests? If we are like the servants, we will see ordinary things in our lives be transformed into extraordinary things. Ordinary water transformed into extraordinary wine. Purification rites into a joyful banquet. The bondage of the law into the freedom of grace. Let's continue reading. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. The stone water jars for Jewish rites of purification are symbolic of the Old Covenant giving way to the New. The Old Covenant no longer serves its purpose, but the Lord does not abandon his people. Through Christ's actions here, he will confirm God's covenant love and faithfulness for his people. The first thing Jesus calls for is water, clean water to fill all the way to the brim. This is symbolic of what Jesus calls us to do when we follow him. Are we filling ourselves with good things? For God to transform us, there must be a base that he can transform. It's not that God is incapable of creating out of nothing or without us, but he wants to create with our help. He doesn't even want us to be already wine. Christ didn't make wine into better wine, but simply water into wine. God just wants willing participants in this creative relationship with him. Jesus here could have made wine out of nothing and without the servant's help, but he wants to create with the help of his people, by their obedience and with ordinary things already created. God does not ever want to give up on us. God is calling us to action, to help him create, help him transform. So are we willing to fill up our lives with good things, things that edify us and glorify God, so that God can transform our good water into glorious wine? Let's continue reading. He said to them, now, just, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. Here the Greek word used for draw is generally understood to mean to draw as from a well. We'll hear this word again used in the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Because of this connotation of drawing from a well, the Knox translation has a note at this verse saying, our Lord is generally understood to have turned the water in the six water pots into wine, but since the verb here used for to draw applies more properly to drawing from a well, it is possible to suppose that the water pots contained only water throughout, and that the wine came from the well itself at the seventh time of drawing. So if we are to understand it, it in this sense, like the Knox translation, the note in the Knox translation says, the sixth water jars are symbolic of incompleteness, and the seventh drawing from the well is the completeness, the wholeness created by God. After the labors of drawing water six times, the labors turn to joy at the seventh time, as the servants draw wine. In any case, whether from the well or from the jars, we are called to draw from the deep well of grace, 
that Christ has provided for us so that we might have eternal life. Let's continue reading. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine, after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Notice how here, and at the beginning of this narrative, we are told that the banquet did indeed have wine, but they had just run out. I think sometimes, for rhetorical reasons, we disparage the Old Covenant or think that the God of the Old Testament somehow was less gracious than the God of the New. But with any good study of the Old Testament and the covenant of the people of Israel, we can see God's grace was at work even then. The New Covenant was not simply about replacing the law with grace, but stacking grace upon grace as the beginning of John's Gospel states following the okay wine with the really good wine, following God's loyal love for his people Israel with God's loyal love for all mankind, following temporal purification with eternal purification, temporal glory with eternal glory. The okay wine is our temporal life, still good. We can still have a good time, but the, but the new wine is the eternal life that fills us with eternal glory. God gives us even better wine than we had before. God follows the good with the great, and the great with the best. The early church fathers saw this wine coming at the end of the banquet as symbolic of God's revelation to his people and his redemptive work. The original wine was the patriarchs and prophets of old. This new wine is Jesus himself, who comes in the fullness of time. After providing this good wine, Jesus follows it at the end of his life with his blood, in the cup he blesses at the Last Supper, and which we receive now in the Blessed Sacrament. Christ's generous response here to a simple human need is a vision of the abundance of God's kingdom. He provides not just enough wine, but more than enough. And not just any wine, but good wine. This should inspire us to respond generously when we are faced with human need today, when we notice, like Mary, that something good has run out. We ought to respond as best we can, heeding the exhortation of Mary to the servants to do whatever Jesus tells you. And what does Jesus tell us to do? To do unto others as we would have them do to us, to forgive countless times, to humble ourselves, to love our enemies, and do good to those who hate us, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the imprisoned, in short, to be merciful. Love God and love neighbor. In listening to Mary and following Christ, we can be confident that our efforts will be transformed into the miraculous fulfillment of God's kingdom ever supported by Mary's constant prayers on our behalf.